Let's take our Bibles then now and turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. We will not be able to conclude our series on the seven churches of Revelation, but we will try to take a good chunk, a good bite of the seventh and final letter that is written to the church of Laodicea. So our hopes will be to consider verses 15, 16, and 17 this morning. And I guess without any further delay, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, this morning let's consider a worthless church. Let's consider utility. Utility. Father, help us as we open your word now. We pray that it would be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. May it be abundantly clear for each one of your people what you would have us to do, what you would have us to know and believe. For anyone who does not yet know you, that they would know, come to know you today as Lord and Savior. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Yesterday, I couldn't get my internet working. I tried resetting the router and the modem twice. Of course, then I learned that internet wasn't working through a certain provider all over the place. But when your internet is not working, it's not good. And when your mobile data isn't working, it's no good. And I can only imagine what a disaster it would be if you lived in a smart house. A smart home where your lights, your sound system, your thermostat, your refrigerator, your washer and dryer, I don't know what else. But all of those gizmos and gadgets are connected. And they're connected by the internet. And they work and function by means of the internet. And when the internet isn't working, well, I'm sure there has to be some kind of workaround. When the internet goes down, there must be like a switch or a dial or a knob or a door. But who would know how to use those things? Because aren't we just used to having Alexa do whatever needs to be done? The problem is when there's no internet, Alexa is worthless. Now, for the rest of us who don't live in smart homes yet... When we lose our internet, it can be difficult as well because our devices become seemingly worthless to us. Now, as we come to the final church in Asia that Jesus Christ addressed, we come to the most familiar church of the seven, the church of Laodicea. And it was arguably the worst of the churches Worst of the church is because Christ didn't have anything good to say about the church. I mean, at least when he talked about the dead church at Sardis, he could at least compliment them in the fact that there were a few there who were unsoiled. He couldn't say anything good at the beginning of their letter, but by the end he did have at least something positive to say. But we read through this letter to Laodicea, and there's nothing. And because... We're familiar with this church. Most people know that Christ described this church as lukewarm. This was the lukewarm church of Laodicea. 
And it's, it's hard to forget this church, particularly for those of us who grew up with the King James Version, because we remember the words from chapter 3, verse 16, where Jesus says quite vividly, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Not going to forget that. Modern language versions say quite colorlessly, I'll spit. A couple of the most modern versions are more colorful in that they'll say vomit. You know, we, we read through the, the letter to the church at Pergamum, and Christ said that he would come against them. He would war against them with the sword of his mouth. But this letter to the church of Laodicea really grips us in a different way. Now, I distinctly remember the first time I heard a sermon on this letter, the church in Laodicea. I was at a Christian summer camp, and I was challenged about lukewarm Christianity. The challenge was really quite simple. Instead of being a lukewarm Christian that makes Christ vomit, be on fire for Christ. If you're on fire for Christ, you'll receive his approval. I realize that some of you, this is the very first time you've ever been taught about the church of Laodicea. Therefore, it's hard for you to empathize. But for others of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You remember when you were first exposed to this church through the preaching of God's word. And perhaps you were challenged to serve the Lord passionately. You were challenged to be like Jonathan Edwards, to be like David Brainerd, to be like Jim Elliott, to be like David Livingston, or William Carey, or George Mueller, or Martin Luther, and the like. The message that we heard, perhaps years ago, called us to be serious about our Christian faith. And this letter seems to teach that point so plainly. So let's listen to what Jesus said to this church, beginning in verse 15. Christ says to them, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold, either cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. You know, you look at this verse, and even as you consider the the rest of the letters that Christ gave to the churches in Asia Minor, and you compare that with what Jesus said in the Gospels, and you realize that Jesus was a master illustrator. He used illustrations in his sermons a lot. And in this case, Jesus is going to use the historical setting of the church to teach the church. You see, six miles north of Laodicea lay Hierapolis, and that's what Christ Christ referred to that church in Colossians chapter 4, verse 13. The Hierapolis was known for its hot mineral springs. And it was by those springs that people came and were healed. Those springs served medicinal purposes. Now, 10 miles east of Laodicea lay Colossae. And that letter, uh, Christ, or Paul referred to that, that group as well. We know that because we have the book of Colossians, which was written to Colossae. This city was known for its cool water that seemed to come from the snow melt of the mountain. Therefore, it provided refreshing drinking water. But in contrast to 
Hierapolis and Colossae, Laodicea did not have any natural source of water. Their water had to be piped in. It flowed down the mountain to Laodicea that lay in the valley. And here's the simple point. By the time the water reached Laodicea, it had become lukewarm. No longer hot, no longer cold. And Jesus used the water supply of the city as a metaphor for the church's spiritual condition. The reality is that the church of Laodicea was lukewarm spiritually. They were neither cold nor hot. And it seemed that to be cold spiritually would be to be an unbeliever, to be one who rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to be hot spiritually would be a believer who is on fire for Jesus. Therefore, to be lukewarm spiritually would be a believer who is apathetic towards spiritual things. And Christ is making abundantly plain the fact that apathy towards the things of God is unacceptable. It's not an available option for his people. Listen to what he says in verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would, or as the New American Standard says a little more clearly, I wish, I wish that you were either cold or hot. You see, Jesus Christ wished that the church of Laodicea was cold spiritually. I guess the question we have to consider at that point would be this. Does that mean that Jesus Christ wished that people were unbelievers? That he desired that people would reject him? Did Christ really desire open hostility to the repulsive indifference of the people of Laodicea? Now, there are some commentators and many preachers who say that's what Christ was teaching. They would say there is more hope for the openly agnostic than for the coolly indifferent. And that might sound really wise, but I believe it fails when we think about it. That Christ would wish for unbelief is against what we know to be true about him. He came to earth so that people would believe in him, not so that they would reject him. We know that all the way back to John 3. We also realize that a desire for unbelief would directly contradict his desire for people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. As we saw this morning in Ezekiel, God has no delight in the death of the wicked. God wants people to turn and repent, to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it should never be thought that Jesus' desire is his own rejection. That people would be cold spiritually. He doesn't want that. Well, then how are we supposed to understand what this passage is talking about? How are we supposed to understand spiritual coldness? Well, coldness can be, well, he's cold, meaning he's kind of unfriendly. It can mean that, but most commonly, cold means a, a low temperature. And thereby, water that's a low temperature is water that's refreshing. Jesus Christ talked about this kind of thing in the Gospels when he talked about a person who gives another person a cup of cold water. That is to say, he gives a person refreshment. We do the same thing when someone comes into our house. We ask, can we get you a glass of water? And isn't it often the case that it's chilled or we put ice cubes in it because we want it to be refreshing for our guest? 
And this understanding fits quite well given the historical setting, that we have the cold, refreshing waters of the streams of Colossae. And from there, we can easily understand what Christ meant by hot. Jesus Christ wished that the church of Laodicea would be spiritually hot. We have the hot mineral springs that are from Hierapolis that ministered healing to those who would come. We have hot springs on the one case. We have cooled streams on the other case. But in the midst, we have Laodicea, which is lukewarm, neither refreshing like the water from Colossae nor healing like the water of Hierapolis. And what the text says is that Christ wished they were one or the other. He said, I wish that you were either cold or hot. That's what he wanted. And that is to say, he wished they were useful for something. But they weren't. And even so, Christ wants our church to be good for something. He wants our church to be good for something. He wants our church to be useful for him. And that's why Christ is chiding the church of Laodicea for its lack of usefulness, not serving any purpose. Last week, we talked about the parable of the talents. That was where the master distributed various amounts of money to three of his servants. And there were two servants who were useful to the master because they doubled the master's money. But there was one servant who wasn't useful to the master because he dug a hole for the money. And Jesus referred to that servant as a worthless servant. That is to say, he was ineffective in his service for the master. And isn't that the estimation of Christ, of this church in Laodicea? I wish you were cold or hot. You're not. You wish they were useful servants, but they weren't. Because they were lukewarm, they were repulsive to Christ. So Jesus Christ is disgusted with the church in Laodicea for its lack of usefulness. Uh, for its lack of usefulness. Look at verse 16. So because you are lukewarm, lukewarm, that's good for nothing, and neither hot nor cold, which would be good for something, if you were hot or cold, because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. And that's quite graphic. But from that, we learn that Christ wants our church to evaluate its usefulness. This is how Jesus Christ responds to the church that is worthless to him in their service for his kingdom. We would just do really well to examine ourselves with great care. Are we useful for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Well, how do you determine whether or not you're useful? If we run to other passages of Scripture, we can run to the Old Testament and realize that from the sacrificial system, Or we could go to what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. We would realize that those things that are useful are the things that are holy, the things that are set apart, those things that have been cleansed from the things that are dishonorable. To be useful for Christ requires a life set apart from sin, a life holy to the Lord. We know that's true given other scriptures, but instead of running to application from other passages, let's try to stay in the text that's right before us. Let's consider this simple question. What about the church in Laodicea made it of no use to God? What about that church 
made it of no use to God? We're going to find the answer in verse 17, where it says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. This was a church that said, I don't need anything. And what the church said about itself was the reason that it wasn't of any use to God. And what they said about themselves revealed what they thought about themselves. They thought that they needed nothing. What's unique about this church in this town is the history of Laodicea. About 35 years previous, the city had suffered an earthquake, and it was destroyed by the earthquake. Rome offered to help them rebuild the city, but Laodicea said, we don't need anything. They rebuilt the city on their own, and the city they they rebuilt was beautiful. It had a gymnasium. It had a stadium with a semicircular track 900 feet long. It had a triple gate with towers, and it had many other beautiful buildings. And it seems that the city and its experience is a parallel to the experience of the church. The city perceived that it needed nothing from Rome, and the church perceived that it needed nothing from God. I'm rich, prospered, I need nothing. The sense of self-sufficiency often follows from wealth. And that's the truth in Scripture we can find, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. We know that's true all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, This is where God warns the people of Israel when they would enter the promised land. He says to them in Deuteronomy 6, When the Lord your God brings you into the land with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The simple point is that wealth has a way of making people forgetful. Now, it's debated whether or not these church folks in Laodicea were materially wealthy or simply the fact that they thought they were spiritually wealthy. Many people believe that they were just like their community. They were materially wealthy. But what it seems here is that these church folks understood their material wealth to be an indicator of their spiritual wealth. Because we are rich materially, we are rich spiritually. Or perhaps to say it differently, their material wealth was an indicator of their spiritual health. That's what they thought. And certainly that is the common notion in the United States of America. The church in Laodicea thought they needed nothing. And from that point, we learned this truth, that Christ wants our church to sense our need for him. Christ wants our church to sense our need for him. The church in Laodicea didn't think they needed Christ. But Christ wants us to know that we need him. And he wants us to understand and to recognize the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of riches. This church was deceived about its true condition. Listen to the rest of verse 17. That just has chilling words. Christ says, You say, I need nothing. Yet you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind 
and naked. So this church is in a wretched and pitiable spiritual condition. How did they come to this situation? Was it because of of something, some pressure from outside or some pressure from within that they came to such a terrible situation? Was it because they had been persecuted by the Jews as other churches of Asia were? Was it because they had succumbed to the false teaching from within as had been true of other churches of Asia? There's no mention of those things. Instead, this church had succumbed to their own affluent lifestyle. And they didn't even know it. Their wealth blinded them to their reality. So what do we learn about that? About their perception of what they said and then what Christ said was actually true. We learn from that that Christ wants our church to be dependent upon Him. We know that because Christ chided the church at Laodicea for their self-sufficiency. They said they don't need anything. So if we're going to have value from this passage, how are we going to discern whether or not we suffer from the same self-sufficiency? Let's make this really practical. Pastor, what do you want me to take home from the message today? I believe that we can measure our degree of self-sufficiency by our use of the means of grace. God's grace is what he gives his people to strengthen them to do his will. And God's grace is procured by certain channels that are given in the scriptures. We receive, God, we receive grace from God through prayer. We go to the throne of grace. We receive grace from him. We receive grace from God's word, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. The means of grace are prayer and the Bible. And in the one, we speak to God, and in the other, we hear from God. So this is the simple point. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, we may discern our self-sufficiency by our prayers to God and our meditations on His Word. Our constant dependence on God is manifest by our praying without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5. And our dependence on God is shown by our meditating on His Word day and night, as the psalmist says in Psalm 1. So our, our spiritual self-sufficiency in contrast, with, it's shown like this. We think that we don't need anything when the Bible stays on the shelf all week long. You don't need to hear from God or consider what He said. Or spiritual self-sufficiency is shown when there is a repeated silence when it comes to sharing prayer requests at prayer meeting. When I don't have anything I need prayer for, or the pastor calls you because the pastor is supposed to give himself to the, the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. The pastor calls you and says, what can I pray for you about? And you don't have anything to say. I don't need anything. I'm okay. And those kinds of habits scream I have need of nothing. I am self-sufficient. Those are words straight to our hearts. It's hard for any one of us to miss that. But let's wrap up the point beyond that because we need to put these points together. Christ chides this church in Laodicea for its lack of usefulness. You're neither cold nor hot. And he chides them for their self-sufficiency. But how do those points fit together? 
Well, those who don't think they need God aren't useful to God. The self-sufficient servant of God is of no use to God. That's why Christ chided the worthless church in Laodicea. It's kind of like our electronics. When we don't have our Wi-Fi, these things seem worthless. And when a church of Jesus Christ does not depend on him, they're like worthless servants who are of no use to the master. So what we need, as the hymn says, we need to sense and feel our need for him. And learn from this letter to the church of Laodicea. Let's pray. Father, as we close today, I pray that we would we would do some hard work today, having heard and learned from this passage, that we would not continue, if it is true of us, that we sense we are self-sufficient. We don't need anything. All the bills are paid. We eat three square meals a day. We are incredibly rich. What could we need? What could we lack? Father, help us to realize how deceiving Riches can be that it blinds us to our true spiritual condition. Help us to realize that whenever we do not depend upon you, we are in a wretched state. And when we don't depend on you, we are of no use to you. So, Father, we pray that we would very carefully examine our hearts, give ourselves to a careful consideration of what we need people to pray for us about. Because we really do need prayer. And even the fact that we don't readily know perhaps what that might be, it shows how oblivious we are to our true condition. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, that you would help us to depend on you. And that would be manifested this week through our prayer and through our reading of your word, meditating on your word. Father, we are thankful for a letter like this. It is a letter that is difficult to read given how graphic it is. But Father, it is something that is profitable for our walk with you. So, Lord, thank you for it. Thank you for helping us understand ourselves as we truly are. We realize that when we first came to faith in Christ, you first gave us a glimpse of who we are, of our sin, of the penalty for our sin, of our separation from you because of our sin. You caused us to understand that our only hope was the forgiveness of our sin through Jesus Christ. We had to depend on you. So, Lord, help us to live a life of faith that continues to show dependence on you. Help us not to be self-sufficient like this church in Laodicea. We pray for your grace and help, realizing that you give grace to those who humble themselves and come and ask. So we have every confidence this morning that you will give it to us, that you will give us everything we need if we would but be honest that we need you and ask for your help. We pray for that end and for your glory in Jesus' name.